Welcome to the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. Our mission is different. We're not about numbers, cures, donations, or research initiatives. We want to dedicate our platform, childhoodcancerhall.com, and this podcast to children age 0 to 21 and their families who are affected by childhood cancer. We want to share their stories, celebrate their lives, and create a community and support network that's forever free for these families. Whether you're a child, sibling, family member, friend, or someone who wants to learn more about the subject, you are welcome here. It's a safe place where we can lift each other up, educate the public, find new language, and let the stories live on. Let the families not be defined by cancer. These are their stories, legacies, and living memorials. Okay, hi everyone. This is Fei Wu and Anna from the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions. We are here co-hosting an episode with the lovely Ali Hornung, and uh, who founded her own nonprofit to support pediatric um, cancer families and patients and friends. So I'm just so thrilled, so honored to be here, and we have so much to talk about. Welcome to our show, Ali. Thank you so much. I'm really, really excited and honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us, Ali, where, where are you at right now? Um, where are you located? And uh, what, what has, you know, why did you decide to start your nonprofit? So I am from Rhode Island. Um, I go to the University of Rhode Island. And um, I, it's kind of a long backstory on why I decided to start Glimmer of Hope, but I'll start off with um, the fact that when I was 12 years old, I believe, 12 or 13, a friend of my sister's was diagnosed with leukemia, and that was the first child I'd ever heard of being diagnosed with cancer, so I decided I wanted to do something for her, so my mom broke out her sewing machines from when she was probably my age at the time and, um, decided to teach me how to sew. So I sewed a hair bow and with the leukemia ribbon on it. And I sold it at my middle school and her middle school. And I raised $1,300 for her. And then that kind of progressed a few years later, she nominated me for, uh, the leukemia and lymphoma society student of the year campaign. When I was 17, I competed in that against students in Rhode Island in high school, and I ended up winning by raising $43,000 in six weeks for blood cancer research and patient care. And that was such an incredible, incredible experience. And I reconnected with a very, very special little girl in my life, Ella, who um, had just been diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 11. We had known each other. We went to the same elementary school. She was five years younger than me, Um, but we reconnected. She came to all my events. We became super close. Like she called me her big sis. I called her little sis. Um, And she just continually inspired me. So unfortunately, after some complications, Ella passed last year. Um, at 14 after a relapse. And she actually wrote a letter to American Girl when she first lost her hair, asking them to create a bald doll. And they said, well, we have a bald doll, but we don't sell it. So she is 
the reason why they sell the ball doll, why it's on display. Uh, we were able to go to New York and see it in the store. And that is the inspiration behind Glimmer of Hope um, because our primary focus is sending out bald American girl dolls. And the reason for the name Hope is because Ella named her doll Hope. Hmm. I saw that story in the news. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. It's just amazing to be able to continue her legacy and um, bring so much joy to kids like she brought to me and I know so many others in her short life. Mm. I think I'm looking at Anna. We're always trying to compete, uh, asking for questions. <laughs> you it's go a little bit of a heavy story, I know, um, but as heavy as childhood cancer is, I think that our purpose is to take away some of that heaviness and bring some of that joy. Like Ella wanted girls to feel represented like she did. So that's what we hope to do by sending out this doll. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And are you, are you also thinking of sending something to, to boys or is this only for girls or? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to give the opportunity for all children, um, not only children, even like young adults that are going through cancer treatment. I'm 20 myself, and I can't even imagine what it would be like um, to be a 20-year-old and be in the childhood cancer unit, because that's how it is. To, up to 26 years old, they're in the pediatric oncology unit. So we don't really have an age range. We'll send a package to pretty much anyone under 26 that's going through treatment or is in remission. Um, and so we send the ball dolls and we also send care packages with a typically $150 value to each package that is curated specifically for the child. American Girls is a really big deal. I only learned about this um, after I came here. So I grew up in Beijing and I came here when I was 17 and I learned very quickly. I remember maybe within the first trip to New York and there is a American doll like factory building in the yep. square. <laughs> and I, the girls, I mean, when they walk in and out, they become like, it's very transformative. And I know like part of this is also debatable because the dolls are so expensive and I'm really- Tell me about it. <laughs> Exactly. So how, I mean, uh, so Ali, how did you come up with, or was it Ella's idea because she loved American Dolls to, to, to realize that this may be a potential partnership for your nonprofit? Yeah. So I grew up with American Girl Dolls as well. Um, me and my sister absolutely loved them. And one of my birthdays was spent at the American Girl Doll store in New York, getting my doll's hair done and getting of me on a fake magazine cover of American Girl. And I actually was in an American Girl doll runway show when I was eight, I was casted. So American Girl has always been in my life. And one day I was talking with Ella's mom and, you know, we were talking about if I wanted to start a foundation, what should I do? I always wanted to start a foundation, but it had to be something that hadn't been done yet. I didn't want to start a foundation that had already been done because um, I just thought, well, I can just donate my money or donate my time to that organization. So she said, 
it would be such a great idea if you sent out these bald dolls because this just made such an impact in Ella's life. And Ella wrote in her letter that she thinks it would make an impact in other girls' lives. So that's what we went with. That's our primary focus. But like I said, we do um, care packages. We also do meals once a month for the Izzy Foundation at Hasbro Children's Hospital in Rhode Island. And so we'll donate a meal for all the families in the oncology unit and all the staff as well. Wow. (laughs) How are you able to fundraise all of this? You're 20 years old. You're very new to this. You haven't been running businesses for decades. How are you able to raise money effectively and commit to like a schedule, right? This is not even like a one-time thing. It definitely can be overwhelming. I think as a junior in college, college can be stressful, but it also allows me that time that I maybe didn't have in high school to kind of organize my own schedule. And I do have the fundraising experience from when I was 17, but something, a very valuable lesson that I learned when I was 17, trying to do everything on my own was that you really do need a team of people to help you. So I have a wonderful associate director that lives in New Jersey, Allie DeForge. She is like my right hand, my partner in crime. We are just two peas in a pod and she does an insane amount to help me. She is actually coming next week. We're doing like a whole glimmer of hope media week. And, um, Then I also have three interns, Amanda Robertson in Alabama, Caroline Parenti in Rhode Island, and Kerrigan Nelson, who is an osteosarcoma fighter, also in Rhode Island. And they are just incredible. I couldn't do it without my team. And I love having a team of all women behind me. And also can't forget to mention my mom, who we call our CFO, our chief financial officer. She's a math teacher, so she does all the finances. (laughs) Wow. So, Anna, I'm going to look at you. Every time you unmute, I'm going to assume you have a question ready to go. So I'll give you that space. Now, uh, do you also meet the families or um, do you have a relationship with the people you help as well? So we try to meet the families when we can. I've uh, met, I want to say, about four or five girls that we've given dolls to. and. we're going to meet two girls this week as well and surprise them with dolls. And um, we actually had an incredible photo shoot to kick off Glimmer of Hope in August. So my associate director, Allie, and I were both Allie, Allie and Allie. <laughs> um, we planned this photo shoot for a few months and it was all um, gold themed for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month in September. And we had a full team of hair and makeup artists to do all the girls' hair and makeup. We had three gift baskets for each girl. All the items were donated by sponsors or sponsored by Glimmer of Hope. And then we just had a beautiful day at the beach where we had 10 survivors and fighters ranging in age from four to 19 to just create this magical photo shoot that was full of hope. And um, all those girls are girls that um, have had a huge impact on our organization. Wow. What a, what a treat. The, the fact that, you know, the stories that were, we heard from Sammy earlier as well is about really building that relationship, relationships with both the children and their families 
and it just sounds so positive. I don't know, like, how, how do you feel, Ali? It, you know, there are many ways to contribute back to your community and engage with these people and help them. So some people choose, let's say, fundraising exclusively or, um, you know, supporting certain type of research. And, you know, our mission, for example, at Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions is a little different. We love sharing these stories, connecting mm -hmm. with people. How do you see these different things kind of play together and, and how does it make you feel in particular to be so close to everyone? You know, it makes me feel so special to have a place in these families' lives. I always say it's not about me. It's about the families. Um, but these families have just had such an impact on my personal life. And I think I speak for all childhood cancer organizations when I say that it's very important to us to have a connection with these families. And of course you become attached to the kids and, and there's some kids that just have this tremendous impact on your life. Um, so in particular, there's this one little girl, um, Kaisley that got our second doll that we ever sent. She's in Georgia. I had never met her, but um, another organization connected us with her. And I was just so impacted by Kaisley's story in particular. She has two sisters. I have a sister. So although she's a lot younger, um, she just really affected me. So we decided to sponsor her family's entire Christmas for their three girls. Um, I just feel like I want to give back whenever possible. And if we have the opportunity through all the amazing people who have fundraised for us to provide a Christmas for a family, why not? That is so, I mean, you know, the way you talk about it, I mean, we can just keep saying, oh, that is so wonderful and beautiful because it, it <laughs> Thank is. Thank you. You know, it really is. And I... I, something I learned is over over the years supporting different organizations and more recently again involved in, in related to childhood cancer. It just the sheer joy of um, our ability to impact other people's lives in a positive way that doesn't make you feel more powerful or you know how, how I, does it make you feel more powerful and how do you kind of um, fit in in your normal social life as a 20-year-old college student? I mean, do you get any pushbacks or people raising their eyebrows? Like, you know, how does that feel? I definitely think um, it's different to be a college student running a nonprofit. I think uh, Ali would say the same thing. Um, it's not the norm to have your dorm room filled with toys <laughs> all the time. Um, but, you know, it's so rewarding that I say Glimmer of Hope is my social life. <laughs> as much as I like to hang out with my friends, I think um, this unintentional break with COVID is kind of a blessing in disguise for us that own nonprofits because it gave us more time to dedicate to that. Um, it's definitely a balance and it's definitely not always easy. Um, there's definitely people I think that kind of maybe wish that they could be involved and that comes out in kind of a negative way sometimes. But I have to say for everyone who has been negative towards me, there is a thousand more people that have been positive and have had so many amazing things to say. And I just can't really thank like my community enough for what they've done for me. Um, 
we have just had so many amazing people, two women in particular, Jen and Candace Pacheco. They're uh, police officers in Providence, Rhode Island. They have single-handedly in the last two months raised over $7,000 for us. So they literally, they're just these normal women we didn't even know before we started the organization. And a little girl named Emerson that we're close with, um, they were really inspired by her. And Emerson was the first girl we ever gifted a doll. So they just took it upon themselves to fundraise for us and and it's literally kept our organization going I can't thank them enough it's awesome where we're I feel like something is coming full circle already and we've been only been talking for like 15 <laughs> minutes that I was really curious about the fundraising experience a lot of people know that myself included it's just the hardest thing to actually it definitely is you know money and consistent stream of income to support an organization um but Something really, I mean, I'm, I'm learning this at a much later age, but I realize that we are so much more powerful than we think we are, meaning yourself, Ali, and Anna herself, myself, like when we put our mind to something to make a decision to say, you know, I don't know, I'm going to raise money, something relatively significant um, for this organization, and you find a way to make it happen. I love the example from the two uh, female police officers, they just figured it out. Uh, they didn't mm -hmm. need permission. They didn't need to go to business school for this. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was um, something, you know, a long time in the making. It's They didn't just snap their fingers and things just happened <laughs> to them. So like, what are some of the ways other people can help you, Ali? Like, I would love to learn for, and for others to know. Yeah, so um, we have just had, like I said, people see us on social media and just reach out to me and say, I've been so affected by your organization by just looking at these children's photos that I want to do a fundraiser for you. So they'll just conduct their own fundraiser. We had another woman on Instagram uh, raise, I believe, $900 for us uh, last month, which is incredible. Her daughter had cancer as well. And so it, Every act matters in a nonprofit. I mean, it, you're all you're constantly as money is coming in, it's going out. So every donation matters, whether it's a nine hundred or seven thousand dollar fundraiser versus a five dollar donation. And something that's been really big for us lately is we have an Amazon wish list um, that's linked on all our social media platforms, and we have just had so much support from that. So we put items on the list, and when people purchase them, they ship directly to us. So that has been amazing. On our website, glimmerofhopefoundation.org, we have a link to donate to the Amazon wishlist. We also have a link to donate through PayPal. And we have some specific things that you can do when you donate through PayPal. You can make just a general donation or you can choose to sponsor a care package. You can choose to sponsor a doll directly. Um, so we have a lot of different options and I like to give people the option to choose how they want to donate or how they want to make an impact. Mm. It's, it's so wonderful. Um, I just said it again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you it. You know, I, it's so funny. Like whenever I, this is the first time I might talk to such a big variety of people from different backgrounds. And sometimes you pause, you'd be like, Oh, could you elaborate on that? But to me, it's your, your mission is so clear. And these acts are what makes this world a better place. So 
I I think part of our a lot of our audiences are people who are family friends and um, who are impacted by childhood cancer. But I also mm-hmm. think whenever we interview young people, then we attract other young people mm-hmm. to come in and say, maybe I want to start my nonprofit. Maybe it's not related to pediatric cancer. Yeah. But how did Ali do this? How do I? Um, start a company or how do I build a website? I mean, I would love to hear your journey on who you, you know, seeked out to get help from or how much, how much of this is just Googling that on your own? Yeah. Um, I've definitely always been an active member in my community from a young age. I mean, I started doing community service when I was six years old by doing um, annual uh, canned food drives for our food pantry. And I think it's just getting your name out there. Um, It's the way that you speak to the community. So I try to come across in my posts very authentic and just very natural in how I'm approaching every situation. Um, And definitely always being super respectful towards your audience. So you really have to play to your audience, just like you said, like the families, like every time uh, before Allie, the other Ali <laughs> posts, um, she'll send me the post and she'll, she'll have me review it just because she's getting used to the world of childhood cancer. This is a new world to her. And to me, I've been involved for so long that I can pinpoint, okay, this sentence isn't gonna, isn't gonna go over well with a family that's been in this position. Um, although I haven't been in the position myself, I have spent many, many days in the hospital with my friends that, uh, do have cancer or did have cancer. And so, I kind of do get the vibe from talking to so many families about what is okay and what is not okay. And as far as creating our website and fundraising, it's such a learning experience. I really said I'm not going to start a nonprofit until I am fully ready and um, just know what I'm doing. So of course I wanted to start a nonprofit when I was 15 and 16 years old, because what 16 year old doesn't, isn't, like, oh, let's just do this thing right now. You know what I mean? But um, I think there's a difference between running like a donation-based organization and having a 501c3 nonprofit. There's a lot more responsibility that comes with the fact that I have my name signed on legal documents and I have to fill out tax forms. Um, It's such a learning experience. And my mom and I were just talking about this, how, um, we're like, okay, maybe we need to get an accountant. Maybe we need to seek out some people that are experienced in this. I've had the opportunity to speak with Erin from the Izzy Foundation. She's the executive director. She's amazing. She's given me some incredible advice. Um, The owners of National Grace Foundation. We just had so many people help us and just be mentors to us. And I think that's the most valuable thing is mentorship. Um, But as far as the website goes, I kind of had a little bit of experience in that. I used to run a blog and when I was 12, I had a little small business. So (laughs) I've I've gone up and down with uh, websites and I'm, I'm still working on it. I mean, I'm always perfecting our website. I'm on there every day, changing it, adding pages, seeing what we could do better. So (laughs) that's wonderful. No, I totally understand that because that's what I'm doing now. Obsessively moving pictures and texts (laughs) and (laughs) one pixel bigger, one smaller. (laughs) And luckily for me, um, our associate director, Allie, is a public relations major and she works in that field. So 
She has been a tremendous help with our social media and our outreach. And like I said, our interns have so much to benefit from, from learning from her about this. Um, I really was like, okay, I'm good at my personal social media, but uh, running a nonprofit social media is a whole nother ballgame. So I'm so grateful for her guidance in that. You touch upon language and that, that is something that Anna and I are actively learning with Dr. B.J. Miller, the painting behind me, and we're having these, what I call counseling and training sessions, just so that we can express some of the things that we're now recording live and, and learn from that experience. So he's a palliative care doctor, that's why. Um, and when you said language, what's appropriate, like what is gonna hit them, what what's good, what's not so good, could you maybe talk about that a, a little bit? Because I feel like, a lot of people yeah. say, oh, I'm afraid to hurt someone. Therefore, let me not say anything. Yes. And I think even in my own grief, I've experienced some people like it's always so many people reach out when something happens. But you always notice the people that don't reach out. And um, I, I've had people come to me and say, you know, well, this person felt uncomfortable. They didn't know what to say. But it's always better to say something than to say nothing at all. Because if you say something, you're opening the door for that education for someone to be like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best thing to say. Here's something different to say. Um, when it comes to grieving, I think there is only so much you can say at the time, but the most important thing is like following up and making sure you're being there for that person. Because at the beginning, um, I probably got like a thousand text messages and calls, but who stuck around? That's, that's what matters. And, um, I mean, I wasn't amazing at that myself when my friends and family were going through something. I didn't know how to react until I was put in the position myself. And I think it's just following up with people and saying, you know, how are you doing? Um, I mean, <laughs> when it comes to parents of a child who has passed, I don't think and I take that back now. I don't think how are you doing is the best thing to say. Um, maybe a friend that's going through something is a little bit different. I think just letting them know, like, you know, I'm here for you. And instead of saying, for example, some specifics, instead of saying, um, if, if I can get anything for you, let me know, just get them something like bring dinner to them or like set like something we do that we don't really like promote on our social media is if a family's in the hospital and a lot of times they get admitted to the hospital and they don't have anything with them because they're not expecting to get admitted um like we will send the kid clothes, blankets, underwear. Um, we'll send the parents clothes. We'll send baby wipes. We'll send stuff directly to the hospital. Um, because we know that's such a dire need. And like with Amazon, we can send it. We'll get there in the day. So I think that's super important. Just taking the initiative instead of asking, because no one's going to feel comfortable being like, okay, I need this right now. Just do it and know that it's appreciated. And as far as language, wise speaking with families about childhood cancer I don't know if everyone feels this way I mean I've talked to a lot of other advocates and they seem to feel the same way as me but something that really is a huge pet peeve for me is when somebody say that a child loses their battle um I just don't think that children lose their battle I think that um I like to say that they won 
the ultimate battle. And um, like, although I said, I'm not super religious, I, I do believe in heaven. And I think that was even bigger for me after I went through my own grief process and I'm still going through it. So I think just choosing your words very respectfully and tenderly as if you were the person that was going through it, like put yourself in the parent's shoes and think if I was a parent, I wouldn't want um, someone to say that my child lost because they, they fought and they didn't lose. So you, you mentioned people should just do it instead of asking, saying like, oh, if there's anything, let me know. But what if it's a new situation you've never dealt with and you need to learn, right? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the best thing to go and ask the family that it's grieving, but what would be the yeah. best way to learn about it? What would you suggest? Um, maybe reach out to someone who's been like in a similar position. I mean, obviously I'm connected with a lot of parents that have a child that's in remission. I'm also connected with a lot of parents that have a child that's passed away. So, I mean, if you have someone that's been in a similar position, even if it's not like someone whose child has passed away of cancer, if it's someone whose uncle's passed away, or for example, I learned a lot from my mom. Her dad passed away of cancer when she was 23. So reaching out to my mom and saying like, mom, what did you need? What, what did you need in this instance that someone could have done better? Um, is just valuable information to speak to someone who's been through a similar situation. I also quite love the fact that um, what Anna just said, just go do something because, you know, I am now in my 30s and there's so many times and things I've noticed and I'm not saying this to judge other people. I don't have children or a lot of people I'm I've been a caretaker for my dad who also passed away from cancer and this was 10 years ago and periodically for my mom. But at this moment, I'm in a, let's just say, a very good spot where life feels good. And this is when, like you said, Ali, I feel like I'm so motivated, especially this year during the pandemic, to reach out to a lot of my friends. A lot of people, honestly, only encounter or met once before. You know, Dr. B.J. Miller was Mm -hmm. one of those people. I said, maybe there's something I can do to help him. And, you know, and among many other examples, I think when you reach out to people uh, and and really offer something and and sincerely and follow through, because sometimes it's not very (laughs) clear what the help is going to be. But like you said, I... I still remember intimately well, like when a couple of times I brought my, both of my parents, not together, but separately to emergency rooms and ended up being hospitalized. Oh my God, your life is turned upside down. Everyone involved, right? You're sitting in the waiting room for eight hours. I remember just like, oh, I got to get up. Oh my God, I can't move. I can't move my back. And yeah, uh, I wish I had a heating pad. Like I wish I had a water right now. So true. No water, no food. 
And they don't mm-hmm. tell you what the next step is. Uh, you know, if you have a partner, that, that's one thing. But if you don't have a have a friend, a parent, uh, then you're really stuck because you can't leave. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're stuck to your seat. And yeah. on top of that, the medical bills are tremendous. I know a lot of families have insurance, but a lot of families don't. And I was teaching Ali a little bit about this. The average hospital stay for a childhood cancer patient is 40 $1,400. So you can imagine that. And just like you, touching back on the language again, the ignorance that comes with, oh, well, we don't need to send gift cards or food because they'll get uh, the free hospital food. Well, no kid, no four-year-old kid, no 12-year-old kid, no parent wants hospital food. I'll just tell you that <laughs> straight out. They need like DoorDash. They need the... um kitchen there's usually another kitchen or cafeteria at the hospital that's not the hospital food um so just supporting them in that and um and giving them something that feels a little bit normal um like I had this one mom tell me this just really affected me I saw this this story on Facebook I didn't really even know the family I just reached out through the foundation and said what can I send you and the mom's like you know she is um, sedated, but she keeps wetting the bed. Like we need underwear. Like that's a really vulnerable thing for a parent to say to a stranger. But when you reach out and commit, like you said, like I'm going to do this, it's different than just saying I'm going to do this and not following through. Like we sent it that day. Like just that little act can mean so much to someone. So sweet, so tender, the moments that we share. Um, wow, yeah, it just brings back all the memories of being at the hospital and- Not a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> very, very challenging. The, the food and door, I love the specific advice that you have for people. And I, I, I wouldn't say I became a great cook because of it, but my, when my friend Julia was diagnosed and she had- <laughs> You know, she has three children and then her neighbor literally put together this calendar and there are a lot of online websites for, for those of you guys, guys knows like, well, it's out there. It's been constructed. All you have to do is register. And like, then can- um, isn't it, there's one like food train or something. Yeah. I've, I've heard of that one. And there's the other one that says like, literally you can send it out to like 20 friends and say, um, Julie needs food for five people on Tuesday, six people on Thursday, whatever it is, and you can sign up for it. And the neighbors, I mean, speaking of neighbors, I mean, people like yourself who are not going to be neighbors to every kid, every family. Uh, I think it's so important for people who live by to really step up because then, you know, you you can be the one who keep the food warm. You can then mm-hmm. you know give it to them because I know the scheduling constraints. I mean, for Julia, it's like three times a week, sometimes more for chemo. Mm-hmm. And she is at the hospital for two to four hours at a time. She comes home and there's no food. And I ended up cooking. I got to tell you, Ali <laughs> and Anna, when she ate my food and she just, how excited she was to open up the food and she Aww. ate so much of it. And I don't even know. I mean, it was pretty good, honestly speaking. <laughs> I, made, I, I, I went all, I was like making dumplings from scratch. I learned about the things that she couldn't eat. I think that's another thing is depending on the type of cancer, um, sometimes like, you know, they will tell mm-hmm. you, 
on the website, strictly dairy-free food. So we, we're very careful. Or maybe uh, sometimes on top of that, they have certain dietary constraints. And then we learn all about these things to make sure that we don't use ingredients that anybody would be allergic to or will react poorly to the cancer mm-hmm. treatment. It was such a learning process, but I, I was so joyful through, through the entire process. That's so special too, that you as a friend stepped up to look up the restrictions because sometimes people don't think about that or sometimes there's not even restrictions and, but someone just has preferences. Um, like I know I talked to my friend uh, Kerrigan and she's also my intern about this a lot. And um, she's just incredible and, and has such an impact on her community. But we talked about like, what foods does she want to eat? What foods doesn't she like to eat? So I think- even, I mean, obviously if anyone's going to accept like any food that you bring them, but, but looking that up and being that intentional is really, really special. (laughs) (laughs) This is so sweet. What a Friday. Hmm. Anna, you got any questions as well? I know I stepped over you like last question (laughs) with love. No, I was just thinking how how valuable it is to really treat the people as people and as an individual and think about them specifically and not just an ill person. Mm-hmm. So think about their preferences and not the, only the medical condition. And I um, think, Anna, you being from Italy uh, and myself having lived in Germany for seven months, uh, it's definitely such a learning experience because I remember asking my host mom in Germany that I lived with, she was a nurse about like childhood cancer treatment there. And she was like, you know, only the really sick kids are in the hospital and we don't have like programs here. Like you do guys do in the U S um, where they're providing a weekly stipend to families or food or something. It's a lot different. And because glimmer of hope is on a worldwide scale, um, we really try to learn about what goes on in each country for these families. There's a specific little girl that we support in Venezuela. And um, something I learned about Venezuela is they don't have um, health insurance. So we paid for her scans for cancer treatment. Um, Something I also learned from that experience is that her scans were $300, but in the US that would probably be $3,000 because insurance pays for it, which is crazy to me that they jack up the prices this much for families that are really suffering. Wow. So are you sending packages to Europe as well currently? Yeah, we are in eight countries, I think, right now. So... Venezuela, to to name a few off the top of my head, let's say Venezuela, the Philippines, England, um, we're soon to be in Australia, um, Scotland, Canada, a lot in Canada. Um, Oh God, I can't, I can't think right now, but yeah. So it started off with this little girl from Venezuela before I even started the foundation. She just really touched my heart. Um, And So we ended up sending her a care package and then, well, she was actually really in need of protein powder. She needed to gain weight. So we sent her a bunch of protein powder and some toys and school supplies. And then um, I reached out to her mom again at the beginning of the pandemic, because I was like, if it's bad in the U S I can't imagine how bad it is in a 
really third world country. So her mom was like, yeah, you know, we can't get gas. We can't, that means we have to take the bus everywhere, but nowhere is open. So we can't get clothes. And Bianca is four years old. So she's growing like a tree. And so we just sent her a bunch of clothes and toys for her birthday because her birthday was coming up to make it really special for her. And um, she's like my little princess. I love her. <laughs> wow. And how, how are you finding, how are you getting in contact with the people abroad? Um, Most of the families you- actually... Oh, sorry. What, were, what did you yeah, say? No, like, how do you communicate as well? Because I don't know. There, they speak Spanish. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, a lot of the families actually reach out to us. Um, it's very rare. Like at the beginning, I think we reach out to families, but it's pretty rare now that we would actually reach out to a family. Most of the families find us. Um, and in Bianca's specific case. I use Google Translate to talk to them. I'm actually going to live in Mexico for the next three months. So I will be trying to learn Spanish as best as I can. My boyfriend speaks Spanish. His mom is Dominican. So um, hoping one time maybe we can FaceTime with Bianca's family and she can translate a little bit. Um, but I also speak German. So if we're ever in contact with German families, I can communicate with them but really thank god for google translate because that saved my life in a lot of situations especially when i was learning german in germany that really saved my life how how smart it is i mean that's what modern technology is really for right when when we think about oh yeah you're on the phone all the time but i think we can put our smartphones to great use such as communicating with the people in need and I'm I'm curious because I'm always curious about these things, given that only I'm an immigrant, you know, I'm not, I'm, for example, I'm not Caucasian, obviously. So I, I have a different experience living um, and working in America compared to some of my friends who may be French, Italian, German. And, you know, before they start speaking, they're sort of treated like everyone else. And mm-hmm. I, I find it really fascinating, nothing negative uh, about it. But I also notice you, you know, Ali, you're, you're young and you've been at and, and you've been this way for a while. Um, how, you know, I'm just curious, what makes you feel so comfortable around different cultures and, and norms where, you know, some of my other friends, honestly speaking, much older than you are, they're like, wow, we don't, we get very uncomfortable. They're like, what, what's wrong with people of the same race and want to be together? They actually admit to me that they feel really uncomfortable around people mm-hmm. who don't look or sound like them. Why are you comfortable? You know, I think that is unfortunately kind of a common thing in the U.S., especially in recent times, as we've seen with the Black Lives Matter movement, that people actually don't support that just blows my mind. Um, I've just been super fortunate to have parents that grew up teaching me um, just to be super empathetic and everyone is equal. That is just a value that I grew up upon. You know, like I said, my mom is Jewish, my dad is Catholic. And so that alone um, for me was normal. And so I was like, wait, other kids aren't like this. (laughs) Like other kids just have one parent um, or both parents that have the same religion or come from the same ethnic background. Even my parents come from different walks of life. So 
I think they always really encouraged us to uh, treat everyone as equals. And my grandmother as well is a huge, huge inspiration for me. She uh, served in the Navy as a nurse and her husband was in the Navy. And actually my grandfather on my dad's side is, was also in the Navy. <laughs> so we have a pretty big family of servant leaders. And, um, you know, my Grammy because of the Navy, lived in Japan. That's where my mom was born. And they also lived in Italy. And my Grammy has really instilled um, the travel bug in me. So my sister and I have been really fortunate. We've traveled to over 21 countries. And um, <laughs> which sounds pretty crazy. We've been to more states than, I mean, more countries than we have states. <laughs> um, but because of that, I have become more, um, just of a, how do I want to say it? More of like a world citizen, a global citizen. Um, and I think Germany had a huge impact on me. I really learned how to be more of a citizen than a tourist and just learned a lot in living with a German family and going to a German school and really respecting other people's cultures and differences. To me, I've always been attracted to foreign people. <laughs> I don't know why, but like I said, my boyfriend's Dominican, so <laughs> something's going on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's just, I think I just love stories and I love to hear about people's experiences. And for me, I've always just viewed everyone as equal. So. Hmm. Well, I'm sure your parents are so proud and <laughs> for you to have that uh, experience. I mean, I just got to say, listening to you, to Sammy, and we have also a very young boy, um, Josh, as the first episode. I mean, I, I listening to you guys just make me feel like, wow, you know, given global warming, all these things that could be, it's very, very, um, really tragic and really stressful, uh, mm -hmm. even, you know, for me. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking, man, we got all these young leaders and being born out of these like kind of places that people don't know. Like, I think we underestimate what the Gen Z or sort of like, you know, people around your age mm -hmm. are capable of. I, think, I so agree with you. Right. We underestimate yeah. you guys. I really think like I was fortunate to attend something called the Be Fearless Summit uh, run by Alexa Curtis. I was actually the giveaway winner last year. So I got to go to Pennsylvania and attend the summit. And then I attended it virtually this year and listening to all the speakers and a lot of them are young and a lot of them are in Gen Z, um, especially this, this one girl in particular runs a climate change organization. It is just so inspirational and it makes me feel good to be like, I'm not the only one <laughs> doing something crazy at this young age. There is so many others out there. And I really think our generation is going to have impact on the world and on society. No, I, I'm actually, I'm really impressed by everything you're doing. <laughs> Thank <laughs> and it's you. been such a long time. And I mean, 21 countries is a lot. And also considering you're only 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, having all of these experiences make you grow a lot, I'm sure. So I'm wondering if there's like, what do you think about it? How, how traveling and the project made you grow or what the teachings were? 
Yeah, I've experienced a lot of growth. And um, one of my favorite um, things that I've experienced in particular is my spiritual growth and um, being comfortable in my own skin and realizing that other people's negativity doesn't affect me. It is a reflection of themselves. And um, that has been just a huge area of growth for me, you know, being in college. It's kind of like being in high school again, (laughs) in a way uh, where there's cliques and there's a lot of drama and I've just never liked to be involved in drama. Um, But at the same time, I'm a very... um, I'm a very bold person and I will stand up for others and I will stand up for myself and I'm going to say what's on my mind. And so I'm not going to back down to other people. I guess there is a side to that where I, another area of growth is like pick your battles. Like you can't fight everyone if you don't agree with them. Um, Especially running a nonprofit, you know, like that's, kind of making myself into a public figure. And so I'm not going to go posting all this crazy stuff about like politics and religion, like we were talking about, because it's just not really appropriate for, um, the nonprofit. So I think like just being respectful of other people's opinions and, um, you know, knowing that not everyone's gonna have the same stance as me in a lot of situations. Um, And not everyone is going to agree with me or even like me, but that isn't going to affect how I walk through my life. I was ready to throw an emoji on the screen, but I didn't want to distract you during the recording. What a beautiful thing to say to realize that uh, the clicks and which continue on. Um, as I tell all the youngsters that into your career, whether it's in your 20s, 30s, 40s or beyond, it's incredible. And especially, like you said, when you become a public figure, you kind of, you sort of have, you become a target in the, to a certain degree, right? My, some people might, yes. might even say that, you know, Ali, you're, you're blonde and, you know, mm-hmm. or, so they can use your, your, the way that you look against you, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. I'm, I've seen some of the most ridiculous things happen, you know, to some of my friends that the way that they're trying to contribute to the world and they, uh, people start to really pick on so many different aspects of them that have nothing to do with yeah. the work itself. So I'm really proud of you. I feel like you. you're like a little sister of Aww. yeah, choosing the right path. And it's not easy. It's really, really not easy to step up and, and do this thing. It's definitely not. And um like you said, I mean, there's always people that are going to step on your toes. Uh, I personally think a lot of it comes from just jealousy and negativity that lives in other people that just, I don't find to live in myself. Um, and it's going to come with anything you do in life. If people wish they were doing something that you were doing, they're going to nitpick at you and pick out a specific thing that you did wrong um, or maybe didn't even do wrong, but they view as wrong. And I think it's something that has just been like a big value in my family and in my relationships to just let the negativity go. Like even my boyfriend and I were very independent people and um, we both are kind of like go-getters and like to 
like we never really want to work in like a situation where we're working for someone else. We want to like work for ourselves. So like I said, like I'm an entrepreneur. He is hoping to run for a state assembly in New York next year. And so like we both have that mutual respect of like, okay, we're not going to agree with everyone, but we're not going to go blasting people on social media because we both preach to a crowd that, um, it's just, just a wide view of opinions and values and ethnicities and races. So we just have this big respect for everyone that we talk to, I think. Mm. It's so, so lovely. And I realized that we could probably talk for the next seven to eight hours <laughs> and then have to have someone to send our, our care package so that we can get out of the chair too. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it, it just, uh, you know, I'm looking at Anna, we would love to really like follow your path and then just keep monitoring your journey to see where places we can sort of help you out. And, you know, collectively we have, we'll take a look at your website, maybe throw a couple of uh, recommendations here and there. And, uh, maybe we can learn from, you know, Ali as well in terms of donations and, and things like that for our causes and, um, what are some of the things yeah, we would Ali, absolutely love that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we would love oh, yeah, that. Absolutely. We will. Th this is, I feel like it's such a great collaboration now knowing you as opposed to, you know, random marketer sending you like, Oh, I think you should do this on your website. But not even, <laughs> yeah. Right. Conversations <laughs> with you. I mean, like, what, do you even know what, who I am and what I do? Um, what are some of the things Ali that we haven't asked you that, but you're, you're eager to share, I don't know about your background, travel, anything that comes to mind. Um, so I think something that is a big part of me that also has to do with my nonprofit a little bit is that I have been competing in pageants for four years, I want to say. Um, so I started competing by competing in Miss Rhode Island's Outstanding Teen and, um, that was just a whirlwind experience. I, so I competed because I wanted to spread childhood cancer awareness and you have to have a social impact initiative in most pageants. So, and just like everything else I do in life, I like to prove people wrong. So where people view these as beauty pageants, they're really um, not beauty pageants. They're scholarship competitions. Miss America is the leading scholarship provider for um, young women in the U.S. So Last year, I competed in Miss Rhode Island, and I placed second runner-up on my first time ever competing. It was an incredible, incredible experience, and my favorite part of that is how I get to advocate for childhood cancer awareness. Um, so Ella was actually my princess. We get to bring a little girl on stage with us in my first pageant, and uh, then last year, she was able to watch it on FaceTime from the hospital. Um, which was so special. And it was really like my heart. Okay. I'm going to show her you can do great things and you can, um, achieve what is in your heart and what you dream of doing. And, you know, after she passed, I was like, I think you go through a huge um, change in grief. Like, what am I doing with my life? And am I going to live to make them proud? So I wasn't really sure if I wanted to keep competing, but it just stuck with me how, um, 
I guess I always looked up to her, but I didn't realize how much she looked up to me. And so I said, you know, why am I going to stop competing and stop? Like, this is making a difference for kids with cancer. I'm, if, if anything comes out of this pageant, I'm teaching the judges and the audience about childhood cancer awareness, which is extremely underfunded and under advocated for. So, um, that's just been an incredible experience and I'm really excited to go back this year and compete in Miss Rhode Island again. Oh, that's so sweet. What an incredible experience. I mean, I'm thinking about who else are you going to have, you know, like each for, for Ella, what a special, what a special moment to be sharing that with you. My it God. was so special. And I distinctly remember she was in a wheelchair for the rehearsals. And then she was actually able to walk on stage with me. Um, it was, I, even when she wasn't there during the rehearsals, we had to practice and I was bawling my eyes out walking on the stage, just thinking about having that moment with her. Um, so like I said, you know, I talked to Allie. Allie's also one of my best friends about this and she has done pageants before too. And I was like, you know, you know, whatever happens, like she's going to be watching over me. And I hope that I can make her proud. And I hope that, um, that at least one person learned something about childhood cancer awareness and what they can do to make a difference if anything comes out of this experience. Hmm. Hmm. My goodness. I'm tearing up a little bit. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. As I know, as we learn that this is when your story can touch so many other people, when, you know, like crying is not a bad thing. We used to think, you know, holding the shoreline, don't, don't get too overly emotional. And then I realized that when I do cry in front of these parents, I'm interviewing that it's not a terrible thing. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I finally started to accept that and just kind of let the natural emotions flow. It took a while. Sometimes you really just get into the moment. Like I said, I, um, you know, I talk to and kind of like train on the side, some girls that are going into teen pageants. Um, like my intern, Caroline Parenti is actually Miss Rhode Island's outstanding teen right now. And that was her first pageant last year when I was doing Miss Rhode Island. So, uh, that's how we became close. And, you know, girls are really afraid of like crying and getting emotional inter interviews, but depending on the day, um, you know, like if you're really in it and you're really in the moment, um, it's okay to get emotional. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Like I said, okay, don't sob in the middle of your interview, but it's okay to like show the judges that this is something that's really meaningful to you. And that's why you're here. Mm. That's where, why we're here. And we're, it's a, sounds to me, you know, she's, Alice definitely looking over you. I, I, I'm a spiritual person. I deeply believe that there is an afterlife you know, that when it's our turn, I, I talked to Anna about like these little boys and girls will, you know, welcome us in. Like mm -hmm. I am almost in a way that excited to meet them. I don't know, in a very, in a very powerful way that I never really thought was possible. Um, but what? Yeah. Incredible lessons today. Yeah. I said, um, I see a lot of childhood cancer family. Like they always say like one day closer and I never really understood that I think um but now I like I do understand that um 
yeah, every day is like one day closer to seeing her again. And, um, I think like, especially like, I, I can't even imagine like her parents, um, Mm-hmm. I think like we just all like anyone who is ever affected or impacted by Ella just has like such love for these people that created her. Her parents are just incredible, incredible people. And I really do like send so much love to them every single day. Mm. Thank you so much, Ali. I mean, there's no other way. There's no better way to con- kind of conclude this. And what an incredible story that you share in the end. And I'm so glad you did. Um, thank you so much for having me and, and letting me share a little bit about Glimmer of Hope. Yeah, we're going to include, we're going to edit this episode and we will let you know as soon as it comes out, Anna will let you know firsthand that I'm so excited to be editing this and we don't want to cut anything out. I really just love how the conversation flowed and make it as natural as possible. And, um, we'll include all the links and resources and, Um, social media handles and we'll follow through on all that if you feel like after you see the episode you want to add more it's like hey guys could you add one more link here we'll be very happy to do that oh awesome thank you so much I really appreciate that it was so so nice to meet you both I would love to yeah keep in touch please do please do we will certainly be in touch yeah sounds great and if you ever Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say I'm I'm thinking of going to Mexico too in in January. <gasps> so if I do end up, we could. Oh my even... gosh! <laughs> yeah. Yes. So um, actually, I should send you. So my uncle just built a villa. It's like six stories, and I can literally send you the link. Um, that's where we're staying. Uh, not six stories, like six rooms, but, um, <laughs> but it's beautiful. And, um, he just, just put up the link. So it's awesome. It's in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. That I would love to meet up with. If yes. I'm not going, I need to check some things first, but it was super nice. Then we yes. can talk about our project. <gasps> yes. That would be amazing. Amazing. And my boyfriend will be like, yeah, I have a chance to play video games for like an hour. <laughs> oh, incredible. Girls, this is amazing. But thank you so much for your time. Really made my day on Friday and I cannot wait.